Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm Rubina Chaudhry with uh, my co-host Phyllis Amon. Phyllis, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Rubina? I'm doing well also, Phyllis. And we are very happy to have a a special guest in our series of uh, New Year, New You um, episodes. And uh, we had uh, Sophia Ghani, who is a pharmacist, uh, mind-body wellness uh, trainer, etc. And then we had Zainab Husseini, who is a registered dietitian and works with elders. And both those ladies are olives. Um, Live, Learn, Thrive program uh, coordinators. Today we're very blessed to have Shabir Mansouri join us. He's uh, uh, a regular speaker and attendee at Olive, Live, Learn, Thrive programs. So welcome Shabir and uh, Phyllis, would you please introduce Shabir? Sure, I surely will. I uh, had the pleasure of meeting Shabir a few weeks ago when I was out in California at the um, annual uh, luncheon and uh, for Olive, and so I'm thrilled to have you here on the show, Shabir. And um, just to say a little bit, I know you're the uh, found, you were the founding director of the Institute on Religious and Civic Values in California. And you worked hard to engage the education system to address the issues of religion, history, and culture uh, in the textbooks for children in K through 12. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about that before we get into the conversation about health and well-being and strategies for 2020? Yes, I, I am an immigrant. I grew up in India. Uh, before partition of India and grew up in a particular tradition uh, which required for me to study American civil society construct for about 14 years before I came to the United States. So having had knowledge about the country that I was coming to and studying it for 14 years uh, helped me to at least understand the contextual aspect, historical context of the United States and its place in the in the in the world. Mm. Lo and behold, my daughter <laughs> daughter brought me a social studies textbook. I arrived in this country in 1969, um, January, so be 51 years uh, in a few days. Um, uh, and when my daughter brought her social studies textbook in 1989 which essentially changed my life because I saw what I saw in the textbook. And by that time, I had studied American education system for over 10 years. And so I knew what was happening uh, inside of it. And I established an institute to address certain issues uh, of interest to all uh, and worked 
in that institute for 20 years to take my place at the American Institutional Educational Institute on the table. That's that's absolutely terrific, and um, I I believe that you told me that California really led the nation um, in in his in the history of this social science framework, and I guess that's largely because of your work. So I would say that the California educational system and the nation's educational system has a lot to thank you for. And so, uh, continuing about what we have to thank you for... Um, pardon the interruption, but I think what, what we, need, we need to not thank the individuals who may have engaged the system as I did. However, the, it's the constitutional uh, apparatus and the, uh, and the civil society construct that gives us a place at the table, and what we do with our place at the table is what matters. So my uh, journey in this country, I will attribute it to our system that has given me a chance to engage, and the result is because of the system, not so much because of an individual's effort. So I just wanted to sort of, for the record, correct that particular... That's beautifully said. That's beautifully, beautifully said. So I kind of um, wanted to um, piggyback, if I may, on what uh, Rubina said earlier about uh, the two shows that we had and um, the strategies for your health and well-being for the year, planning ahead, um, not only in terms of diet, you know, food choices, exercise, but, but it, an, an entire plan for a journey for your year. And I read something interesting the other day. I'm a writer, and I received some information uh, because I'm thinking about writing a third book, and it was by Edgar Allan Poe who said that when a writer starts writing, whether it's a, a, a poem or a literary work of you know, a, a novel or a short story, that when they write their first word, they really should have the ending in mind. And so I was thinking about that in terms of our journey, our health journey, and you said something interesting in the conversation we had earlier about that, that what, what is your strategy, what is your plan for what your end of the year goal is. So I thought it might be interesting for the listeners to hear how you incorporated those strategies for yourself and how that helped you and how it could help them. I think a few words about context. Uh, I, I grew up in a tradition where my father trained me, uh, and this may sound like a funny uh, statement, but he trained me to have a long-term, short-term goal, and long-term goals were 100 years and, and beyond. And short-term goals, uh, as far as my father was concerned, was 50 years and beyond. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, okay then. <laughs> I, I understand that that's not people would would think about, but my father's argument was that that whatever you are suffering today is not because of today, but because of what you did 50 years ago, and so that was his way of bringing me into context of understanding what it is that is happening to me today. Just like today in environment, political or whatever the environment we're living in, it's because of what decisions were made 50 plus years ago. We're paying a price for it or benefiting from it, depending on how you look at it. 
Absolutely. It's not just what happened just now. That's correct. That's true. So that's the tradition I grew up. Now, having said that, what I also was trained to do was 24-hour goals, believe it or not, and sometimes even less than Mm -hmm. that. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a macro aspect of what we have in front of us and then, then bring it down to micro level, to manageable level. So, for example, strategy-wise, this, I, you know, we started our uh, health journey about when I was 65 years old. So that was a little over nine years ago. And at that time, I decided that as I was shuffling my professional and and personal work, we made, consciously we made health as our first priority. And what it means is that at that time, I reshuffled everything to make it secondary to my goal of health as number one goal. Meaning that meetings or any obligation that I had, social or otherwise, they all were related to my yoga class, my gym regimen, and so on and so forth. And so that was first priority. Everything took a secondary. So even attending a wedding or this or that, everything was subject to the health priorities. So... (laughs) I'm sure for people listening, they may be thinking, well, that's impossible. I mean, people have very busy lives, personal lives, professional lives. They have family obligations. Many people have caregiver obligations um, to loved, older loved ones or, or spouses. And they're probably thinking, well, I don't have time to fit that in. How could I make my health a priority? I'm last on the list. But as I've said before and other people have said, when you're on an airplane, uh, what do they tell you? If there's a need for the oxygen masks to lower, you have to put it on yourself first because you can't help the person next to you if, if you are not breathing. So health, if you make mm-hmm. your health a priority... Uh, you have to find a way to to fit that in, even if it's something simple like um, making a plan for yourself that when you get out of bed, you're going to start for one week, you know, doing Mm -hmm. 10 stretches uh, to increase your oxygenation, which could help you feel better for the rest of the day. So are there any small strategies that you could recommend for listeners um, for how they can start on that journey? Because that seems so massive. Uh, Maybe something small. It it seems so massive, but it was not. Once I had the priorities set up, that health is number one priority. What happened was it became very easy for me to juggle so many other things. What it means is that when we decided that we were going to have yoga class, so yoga class would begin not seven days of every day yoga class, but once a week. So when we begin the yoga class, a particular day we pick, that day, that particular hour, nothing will interfere with it. It was very simple. So once we decided that particular day is most convenient, then that hour cannot be affected in any other, for, for any other matters. So we did that. And then we started increasing once a week to begin, to, you know, two days a week, three days a week, depending on. So we, we kept adding. So it, it was every month we were evaluating. 
that we did last month four days of yoga. Now what are we going to do this? So now we can add another class. Then it becomes eight days uh, a month, the following month. And you evaluate. And you, you, you add very gradual increase, but a very systematic increase. So that increase was not negotiable once it goes into the system. But it's a very slow progress. So you have 12 months. So for example, now nine months later, this week was the first week for the strategizing for 2020, year of clarity, right? This is a year of clarity, 2020. Right. So, so we're looking at monthly progress, and we came up with a plan as to, in my case, I, I have a very slightly different plan than Rashida, my wife's plan. Uh, and, and so in that, we're going to increase on a monthly basis. So things are going to add to my regiment on, on a monthly basis. It will mm-hmm. be 12 months. And the target is my 75th birthday in the month of December. I have a very specific goal that my body should be at a particular place. Uh, energy-wise, uh, the, uh, the flexibility-wise, strength-wise, and so on and so forth. There are very specific things that I measure and, and set up the program to do it, but a gradual increase. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, but it's a very systematic increase. Once you decide to increase, there is no decrease. There's no, mm. there's no negotiating. You, you don't go back to, right, well, right. I'm, I'm not going to do this thing. So it's a very well thought out and very well planned, very well communicated between Rashida and I, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We do the same thing with the food. So when we decided nine years ago to have a plant-based lifestyle, in which I added about two months ago, <coughs> removed all the meat, uh, poultry, fish, eggs, and dairy for about three-month period to see what effect my body will have. It's a very gradual, but a very so well thought out, very well planned, but, but very small steps. Can I interject something? Um, that um, I think it's important what you're saying about gradual steps, and we spoke about this a little bit be- prior to our beginning uh, the conversation on the show that um, I was saying that as a speech pathologist I work with people sometimes who haven't eaten for a while and when I add back foods and sometimes uh, different consistencies and, and liquids and solids I always do it very carefully because if you have a reaction to something or if you something goes the wrong way and, and you're coughing and there's some kind of adverse event, then I wouldn't know which thing caused the problem if I added more than one thing at a time. So this idea of doing things very gradually is very important. And, Rubina, you were sharing something that you just experienced. Do you want to uh, jump in and, um, and, and explain that? Because I'm sure there are other listeners who have had that situation. Uh, okay. Well, I've... I'm sensitive to the to the strategy that Shabir is talking about and Phyllis, what you're talking about. And uh, I've been following this gradual approach, but uh, today 
I added a protein supplement. And if the listeners recall, when we were talking with Sophia and I was giving my uh, breakfast menu, she said, but you've got to add protein. So I added protein supplement yesterday, one I've used before, and then I used a different protein supplement today. And that did not agree with me. So... Um, uh, so I won't go into the details of what, uh, what happened, <laughs> but uh, uh, but I'm uh, in all these many years of my life, I have never excused myself in the middle of meeting as I did this morning while I was talking. So, but uh, um, Shabir, to to come back to your journey, we're calling this uh, this show, you know, my I think what did we call it? My wellness journey. And I'm very much interested in in preparing a wellness journey plan approach, and uh, and I'll talk to you on the side on that one. Uh, so you talked about some of the things that you did. What were some of the challenges that you and Rashida uh, experienced, other than a food not agreeing? That's what happened to me today. Well, can I just interject? Because we only have about a minute left. So if you could just give us a summary of that, uh, Shabir, and then when we come back, we can continue that, um, get more information about that. So just kind of an overview. Yeah, overview, I think, is the start with a very small step, but uh, plan it carefully uh, and execute it very carefully. Uh, But put it on calendar. Calendar is your friend. Uh, and it, it helps you to uh, cut it down into small, like 30 days to 7 days to even 24 hours and so on and so forth. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't think people think of the calendar as their friend. They think of it as um, maybe something that is uh, not, not a challenge, but that is, it constricts them. But it's an interesting way of looking at it. So we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we're going to continue the conversation on preparing for our wellness journey in 2020. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Heyman, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, 
who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit OliveCS.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Tune in every week for Inspired Chi Radio with A.J. Johnsack and Tracy Sanginetti. Do you sometimes feel like you have no direction? Every one of us is a soul with a body, not the other way around. Discover your talent and purpose. Tracy and AJ help you create your most authentic life and master your powerful, positive energy using modalities like hypnosis, tarot, and your own individual Akashic records. Join us live every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. We're here with Rubina Chaudhry and Shabir Mansuri. This is Phyllis Amon. And we, uh, right before we went to break, Rubina um, asked Shabir about the challenges that he and his wife faced as they prepared for this wellness journey. So, Shabir, do you want to talk a little bit about those challenges? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think challenge number one was... Uh, to not only uh, uh, to, to decide whether we need to maintain our health situation the way it is today and by the end of year. Uh, that was a bigger challenge because most of the time we do things where we are where we are a year later. And we think that I have not lost any uh, momentum or whatever, however you want to define it, that was a bigger challenge because I wanted to move the goalpost. So if my health is better today, it has to be better than better 12 months later. Hmm. And so it was always constant. That challenge was to move the goalpost to farther, much better. Meaning that nine years ago when we began the journey, our body, our health, in every aspect that I can measure, is much better than nine years ago. So I want to just ask you, because I'm sure there are many listeners who have health challenges, but also Mm -hmm. have other challenges in their lives. And I know you said about making your health a first priority. How would you advise people to proceed when they're, I don't want, maybe overwhelmed or experiencing so many other challenges? What advice can you give them? I mean, how did, did you embark on that when you had other challenges that you faced? Yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't call what I'm sharing with is an advice, but rather an experience. So the, what we have gone through is what I'm sharing, but with a caveat that one, something that has worked in one particular situation may or may not work. However, the principle behind it could be perhaps useful to those who are listening. So number one, I think what we need to understand, and this is, I, I firmly believe in whether 
people share this or agree with me or not, I do feel that whether we believe in the divine power or not, but divine plan is to have our best life, especially in senior citizens' cases now, which most of the cases, it's not the case. Right. But just because of my choices that I made, again, remember what I said earlier in the first segment, 50 years ago, is catching up with me. But on the other hand, those choices, good, bad, and ugly of the past, I can reverse them. And so that, you have to believe in it, that all, all the junk food or whatever I ate in the past is catching up with me, but I can change that because this machine is an incredibly, incredibly intricate but also amazing machine that the divine creator has created where I can re-engineer. Hmm. I was okay. physically extremely weak all of my life. And there are things that I won't go into it, but understand the physically weak, meaning so weak my mother thought I was going to die, not live too long. It was, it was that. And I, 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 I lived with my physical limitations and ability to do things. Rashida was much stronger. So I decided one of the things that, okay, I'm going to change the re-engineer this body that I'm born with. And once you understand the power of changing that, and it's not so much the uh, issue of mental power. It's an issue of understanding and believing it that I can change myself. I can do things with all these other challenges that I have, but if I can plan it properly, I can re-engineer my body. And at well, the age I, of 74 plus, yes, that, that's what happened. I, I think you just said something very important. It's not that you're... It, it is that you have to have a belief that you can change it. It, it probably does start somewhat with your, your mental belief that you can do this. Would you agree? I believe so. I mean, uh, I'm always, you know, most of us, whether we believe in a particular deity or not, but we do have faith in ourselves. And I do feel that if I, if I know myself, that I know that whatever the weaknesses I've had, whatever the bad choices that I did in the past of eating habits and so on and so forth, I can sit down and say, okay, I'm going to change that today. And then take those incremental small steps. So as, as Rubina was asking me wellness journey, in that you need to just simply decide, look, I am an individual, I can do this much. Decide what is it that this much is and push that farther. Hmm. Don't just accept that as status quo. If I can do push-up, five push-ups, if I live with the five push-ups, then it's fine. But if I push myself to do seven, six, seven, eight, and increase it daily basis, you'll be surprised that that one little... Uh, you know, accepting that limitations is something that we need to really rethink. That, and I've had so many people, when I, uh, a particular case, it was a friend of mine was walking the way he was walking, and I said, why are you walking? That's a choice you are making. He said, my back hurts. They said, I said, all of those things put aside, but you are making a choice of walking the way you were walking. The same man, three years later, no longer walks the way he walked three years ago. 
Mm. He made a choice. So what I'm asking myself to do is that I have a choice to make. That choice could be a limited <clears throat> version of what I want to do and or unlimited version of Unlimited is where the divine plan is. My plan is limited. I can live with a very little, small little thing. But if I can do those small things to go farther than what my mind tells me, I can push that limit. So if anybody's thinking about that as they're listening, I, I would probably say that the most valuable thing is just what you said, which is doing it in small increments, and that the calendar can be your friend and your guide. That, Absolutely. you know, if you have a small goal, just like you said, maybe you could do two push-ups or you know, do five stretches to help oxygenate your body in the morning. And then maybe the next week add five stretches and three push-ups. And after two weeks of doing that, when you start to realize that you feel better from this, then you could continue adding on to that. And then before you know it, it could be a month and you feel differently and that can motivate you to continue. Yeah, and as we said earlier, if you permit me to repeat that, whatever I did, I did it for seven days. So when I began any any additional that I did, whatever the regimen that I had and I added something to it, I did it very carefully for at least seven days. Mm-hmm. Then I increase it to 14 days, and then I increase it to three weeks, to four weeks, and then what I started doing was 200 days. So what I, the reason for 100 days is that my body adjusted to that particular level and it did not reverse back. So if I do seven days and then give up, my, my body will go back to my first day situation. Mm-hmm. If I do it for 14 days, and I, again, I'm not saying that this is a science behind it. This is just an, an experiment that one can do it. Most likely it will work in almost any cases. But it does work seven days to 30 days to 90 days. And once you pass the 100 days, your body will not go back to the day one. It will stay at that 100-day level. That's how you push your body to a next level. It's a very systematic. It's not a haphazard. All you have to do is follow the 7 days to 30 days to 90 days to 100 days. And I, I, I put it on my calendar to see what happens to 100 days. Just like I'm doing this for, uh, uh, for eliminating the meat and, and the poultry and, and the fish and the eggs. I'm doing that for 90 days to see what happens to my body and where my body will be in 90-day period. Mm-hmm. And I'll go beyond that and just to, to measure it, to, to do the effect of, of eliminating those things throughout my diet. That's, a, that's really, really very nice. You've used the, the theory of changing habits. The seven days, the 14 days, the 30 days, and 100 days. You've used it very well to apply it to yourself, to your, to your life journey. And um, I think we have just a few minutes left now. What message would you like to synthesize and leave with our listeners? And believe me, I am listening very intently. 
I, I, I do feel that this nine years of our experiments with our health has taught me one thing, if I were to boil it down to believe in yourself. Seriously, we not tend to believe in ourselves. If, if I'm studying religions, I go to religious scholars. I go to that person, that person. What we forget is that we ourselves can make the difference in ourselves if we believe in ourselves, trust in ourselves, in, be in tune with yourself. Breathing is the biggest gift of the divine. It costs us nothing. Master your breathing, belly oh. breathing. If you master your belly breathing, you can eliminate. I mean, I am able to, I had a common cold attacking me because I was, I was crazy enough to do some experiments with golfing at 5 o'clock in the evening with temperature going 45 degrees, things like that. Having sore throat, that sore throat disappeared just simply by breathing properly. There are theories about breathing um, and how you can change the energy in your body by rhythmic breathing, breathing in a certain number of um, breathing in a certain number of seconds. I don't remember what it is. I want to say five or seven, and then maybe I think it's holding your breath. Um, holding that breath in for maybe three or four seconds before you exhale, and that helps oxygenate your body and increase increase your energy. And I, I just wanted to plug in one. I, I, um, I call it my Jewish sister in Washington, D.C., who met me in the plane. That angel taught me how to breathe several years ago in the plane, believe me, from flying from Chicago to Washington, uh, D.C. And she gave me that biggest gift of my life to breathe properly. And she taught me how to do it. It took me a year to breathe. But believe me, if I were to leave a message to our listeners, figure out how you can learn how to breathe properly and change your life. You know, there are... are, um we talked about changing habits. There are two books that I could actually recommend to listeners. One is called Switch, which is um, how to change things when change is hard. It was a New York uh, Times bestseller. It's by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. And the other book is The Power of Habit, um, why we do what we do in life and business. It was also a New York Times bestseller. And mm-hmm. I think his name is Charles, I don't know if I'm saying it properly, Duhigg, D-U-H-I-G-G. But it's, uh, both of those books have a lot of interesting information about habits, um, how to change habits, how to incorporate new habits into your life. Uh, for mm-hmm. better lifestyle, well-being, so those those might be um, those are the, those are valuable books resources. for our listeners. Excellent resources. Within the next few minutes that we have available, Phyllis, I'd like to request Shabir to share with her with us her philosophy of one third, one third, one third. We really want our <laughs> listeners to uh, to know that we have about uh, about and a half three minutes, minutes left. Right. Okay. 
very quickly, what, what I have in, in my research discovered, and again, this is not vetted through science, uh, but nevertheless, it, based on my experiences, what I found that if, if that my body receives one-third energy from the air I breathe, one-third energy from the water I drink, and one-third energy from the food I eat. So what I have discovered in my research and practice that only one-third energy comes from the food that I eat. And so and there's a wisdom behind it. I think the, the divine power would not be so unjust to those who do not have resources. So here you have the uh, two-third of energy that your body receives comes from free air and water. Mm. And so in this case, learning how to breathe properly, drinking water and the temperature of the water and how you drink the water and when you drink the water, all matters. Absolutely. So knowing that helps help me and in that particular order, meaning that I breathe before I sit down to eat, I drink my water before I eat and then I put food in the body and not put water after I put my food, food in my body. And so that has helped me into what I call the one-third rule uh, in, in my health regimens, this has helped me a great deal. And lastly, when I began this journey, I only came up with a very, I'm a very simple man, so I have very simple uh, philosophy of life. I only came up with two rules. Rule number one was to eat one ingredient food. So that's rule number one. Rule number two, drink my food and chew my water. That's it. Those were the two rules that I came up with that applied in, in our regiment of health. Drink my food and chew my water? Right. Yes. I was just going to ask. How do you mean chew you your water? <laughs> I'm glad you're asking me to explain that. <laughs> yeah. That's you interesting. That Drink your food and chew your water. I like that one. Maybe if people tried that, they'd be better off. I don't know. <laughs> what, I, what I do, Rashida and I, when, when we eat, we do not talk. So right. usually we set aside one hour uh, for food. So when oh. we sit down, we eat. I chew my food, liquefy it, and then I drink it. Interesting. So each, each morsel of food that I eat, I liquefy it, make it totally liquid, and then drink it so that I'm drinking my food. So when I'm it. drinking my water before food, I drink warm water or uh, room temperature water, but I drink it as if I'm drinking a cup of coffee. Mm, interesting, slowly. At a time, chewing that water before I, I drink it. And so, <laughs> fascinating. Well, this has just been fascinating. I'm sure so our listeners that, learned so much from this conversation. And um, we're going to take a short break. And when we return, we'll continue this wonderful conversation. Thanks for listening to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. We'll be back in a few moments.
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Heyman, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rubina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back to our program this afternoon. I'm here with Anu Pala, who's filling in for Rubina today. Uh, Rubina is otherwise engaged. Welcome, Anu. I'm so glad to be here with you again. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. And uh, you are in British Columbia, so you're also a distance away from me. Uh, what's the weather like up there? You're, you're further north than uh, Rubina usually is. That's correct, and I was going to say that it is a very chilly, chilly Monday afternoon. We had a, a lot of snow uh, fall last night, and it's a uh, minus seven, which is really <laughs> cold. That's Celsius um, for us, which is very cold. <laughs> I'm sure some of you guys are laughing right now, but uh, I, I am me, laughing. Really <laughs> I know. I had the fireplace going, and I work from home today, so I have the fireplace on, and I'm very cozy here at home. But it's it's pretty chilly. Actually, yesterday here it was like in the 50s or the other day and today it was in the 30s and I was bemoaning that. So I guess I shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. So when we, were, when we left, um, Shabir was talking about chewing his um, food, drinking his food, chewing his food. <laughs> yeah, drinking, yeah, drinking his food and chewing his water. That's yes. an interesting concept. <laughs> it, it, it is. But I uh, wondered if the listeners were aware of the fact that in actuality, you're supposed to chew your food 32 times before swallowing, or, or at least 30 times for harder, more mm-hmm. denser food, less time for 
fruits and vegetables, fruits really that have more water content, maybe up to 10 times. So um, that's probably something that most people don't do. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know that um, I, I do my best to do that. Not that I physically count, okay, I might count 30 times now, but I'm pretty sure I don't chew 30 times, even though I, I have been told this many, many times, and I've read up on articles about the value uh, and importance of chewing your food to, uh, you know, to ensure that it's very fine and it mix up, mixes up with your saliva because that aids in the digestion process. Right. Most people probably think that digestion begins after you swallow your food, but in actuality, your saliva is an important part of the digestion process because it helps break down the, the food um, mm-hmm. so that when it gets to your stomach, uh, it could absorb the nutrients more quickly and more easily because it's already been broken down. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And what else I, I also learned was that when we wake up first thing in the morning, we should have a glass of water by our bedside and drink it immediately after we wake up because those saliva, that, that saliva that has been generated in your mouth overnight, when that is mixed with the water that we drink first thing in the morning, that also aids in digestion. So this is something that I've, I've been incorporating as my one of my New Year's goals. I won't say resolution, but goals. Interesting. Now, I have a question about that in actuality mm-hmm. because I've heard that as well. <clears throat> yes. And I have adopted, I'd say, um, not since New Year's, a little before New Year's, mm-hmm. drinking water in the morning before I have anything else. However, um, I question drinking the water as soon as you wake up before you brush your teeth because there's bacteria in your mouth that's built up while you're sleeping that can be harmful. So I kind of question that theory. Yeah, I don't have the medical know-how to really know if that's, you know, what's true and what isn't. But this is kind of what I read and and I know we're not supposed to believe everything that we read on the <laughs> internet, you know, but um, I, but I do feel that it helps cause, because I feel very dehydrated when I wake up mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm really bad at drinking water. So that's my total 2020 goal is to really incorporate more water um, mm. on a daily basis. So that, I figured that is why an not Im- start. And that is an important goal. Um, Shabir talks about that. I had... Um, my son is a fitness professional, and he has um, always encouraged me to have water with me. I know he lives in L.A., and whenever mm-hmm. I'm out there, he, he moves around his, his place with water next to him at all times. I actually do better drinking water when I'm working in a, in a facility. Um, I make a concerted effort. When I'm home, somehow, I don't drink water mm-hmm. as much. You'd think it would be the reverse. but Yeah, um, I agree. Same with me. Yeah, but I am. Um, I do drink water as soon as I get up in the morning before I um, have coffee or tea or whatever it is I'm going to have. And I do drink water that is room temperature. Um, my son actually had also told me that, that you should mm. be drinking water that is more room temperature because if you drink water or, or any mm. liquid that's very cold, your body needs to take time to warm it to the temperature in order to absorb it. 
So really to hydrate yourself maximally, you should be drinking water room temperature. And I do that. So I incorporated that. I know that in the Asian culture, um, they drink warm water. And so I wouldn't say boiling hot water, but warm. So whenever I travel to Asia, which is fairly often, um, we, even in the airports, they have um, water dispensers that dispense warm water. Really? It's part of their culture, absolutely. Hmm. It's really neat. And I, I, I feel for me, I just find that water seems to go down better for me when it's warm. So it's kind of neat. Maybe that has something to do with their health, well-being, and longevity. I, I really don't know. I'm just saying that off the top of my head. But yeah. if if there's something, if there's theory behind that or research behind that, intuitively they were doing that, and maybe that uh, does work in their favor in terms mm-hmm. of their health and well-being. But Possibly. there was something there was something else I wanted to talk about because Shabir had um, had said that how to incorporate these uh, strategies into your life by making them a priority. And um, I was thinking when he was talking that while while that's a, a great concept, is it really so easy for all of us to do? Not that they're not priorities for us, but he gave this example of this yoga class. I'll just use that as an example. Mm. Um, so suppose you have this priority that, let's say, Wednesdays, every every Wednesday at 7 o'clock, you're going to this yoga class, but you have a family emergency or you're working and um, – you, you have to stay late at work or you have your own issue that comes up that you have to take care of. How does that really, uh, is that realistic? Not that it shouldn't be a priority, but then what happens if you, if you can't meet that expectation that you had for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, life happens, right? I mean, especially um, as, as a working adult myself and juggling so many different things, um, uh, you know, it, it is hard to keep up with that, those commitments, appointments, whatever you want to call it. And so maybe what that might look like is, okay, using the yoga analogy, the yoga class analogy, well, uh, maybe, or example, I should say, I mean, okay, maybe you can't go to yoga class, but maybe you can do some stretches at home, or maybe you can do something else to replace the yoga class, but do something else to ensure or to, to, ma- to maintain that commitment that you've done something physical or that something makes sense. for your body. That I don't makes- know. That's, that's, that's all I can think of at the moment. Because, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's true. It, you're absolutely right that sometimes, uh, you know, like I said, life happens and um, we have to be flexible. And, I mean, what, uh, what Shabir talks about is, um, is, is I mean, I, I absolutely admire what him and his wife Rashida have done with their lives to um, incorporate this amazing wellness, um, you know, program into their life. Um, but it requires a lot of discipline. And I know, I can't tell you how many times I have tried to incorporate better habits into my life, better health and wellness habits. And I do have, while I have good intentions, the reality is that sometimes I, I don't always like achieve my goals because um, things come in the way sometimes. So it's a continuous effort, I'd say. 
I'd say it's a work in progress. Uh, We were talking earlier, we only have about two or three minutes left, but I thought you said something that was very valuable, which is if you try and do this with a buddy, whether it's a a partner, a girlfriend, whoever Mm -hmm. it is, that that you can be held accountable to them and they're accountable to you. So let's say you did miss that appointment, but they say, okay, but listen, uh, don't let this day go by. Uh, Make sure you do... I don't know, a five-minute stretch. As a matter of fact, uh, the New York Times has a 30-day well challenge, uh, yeah. which which uh, says that if you really do small increments every day, which Shabir also talks about, mm-hmm. to assess how you feel at the end of 30 days, and, and this should help you continue in that process. And so talking about missing something, they have a five-minute workout, a seven-minute workout, uh, there are stretches you could do in the morning rather than in, in the evening. So as you're saying, and if you have a buddy, because it's not so easy sometimes to to motivate yourself to do that, to yep. see, your buddy says, well, what did you do? Listen, go do that five-minute um, workout that the New York yeah. Times has or some other workout that people yeah. find. Um, drink your, make sure you drank six glasses of water. You need to make it to eight. So right. do it. <laughs> and, and you know, people are doing that with this uh, Fitbit uh, 10,000 yeah. step watch. So if, if people are committed to that, it seems to me 10,000 steps seems like a lot. But five minutes uh, doesn't seem like so much compared to 10,000. Exactly, exactly. And, and I mean, I think I, I like the buddy system because... I'm all about accountability, and I, I feel horrible. I mean, if I've promised someone that I'm going to do something, you better believe that I'm going to, you know, do it. So. I, I, uh, I get that from um, the short time that I've known you. Thank you. <laughs> and I think it's great. I, I appreciate that. I'm kind of the same. Uh, if I make a commitment to somebody, unless something really radically yes. drastic happens, I will fulfill that commitment if it's I'm supposed to meet somebody or go someplace. So it, it falls into the same cate- category. Yeah. And, and I would just, in, no, what were you going to say in our last Sorry, um, I know that we're really, really running low on the short on time here, but I did want to just um, end off by saying that I, I really found uh, what Shabir said uh, very inspiring about the fact that and motivating that our bodies have the ability to re-engineer themselves. So even if we've, we've had some um, bad habits and corporate some bad habits, we are able to redesign things and rebuild our bodies that right. gave me a little bit of encouragement <laughs> i agree reboot in a way reboot. so um yes. i i hope the listeners really enjoyed this conversation i did know i did and i learned a lot from shabir yes. and from our conversation and new thanks so much for filling in for rabina and for this me. is voices for elder care advocacy on the voice empowerment uh channel and um we'll see you again next week see you Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.